Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. This is episode number 125, the beginning of a brand new decade, January 2020. Happy New Year, all of you. We are speaking this month with Abraham Johnson, a playwright from Athens, Georgia, whose article, How to Care for Your Queer Playwright, appeared in HowlRound.com way back in September of 2018. We're discussing what it's like to be a queer playwright in what can be seen, hopefully, less and less as time goes on, as a predominantly straight world. We decided to start off the interview with their experience during the Lambda Emerging LGBTQ Voices Retreat, the first program of its kind for queer writers in the United States. Since 2007, Lambda has hosted annual week-long workshops which are led by queer faculty from a range of genres and organized by queer administration. Definitely. I think the biggest thing for me and part of the reason that I pursue playwright playwriting specifically is the idea that like playwriting is just such a communal art form. Um, And so the idea of getting the experience of sitting in a room with queer playwrights for like exclusively queer playwrights for a full week um, where, you know, you can reference plays and playwrights who are, you know, huge in the queer theater canon, but maybe not necessarily complete common knowledge to other playwrights. Um, I think that was incredibly huge for me, um, was just the experience to, to kind of let all kind of like pretenses drop and just be able to talk about my queerness without feeling like, um, it had to go through a filter, have to be kind of like explained to kind of a straight audience. Um, that was really huge. I think just the, the huge healing experience of getting to, um, have that like really, really kind of like radical queer writing and have it be affirmed by a room and have, you know, an audience be able to say like, yes, I absolutely see, you know, this experience in my own life or this experience in my writing. Um, I just think it was such a common ground for all of us to draw from, um, that, you know, especially for me as a young player, I was, I was 20 years old when I first went there, um, for me to have that so early in my career and so early in my life, um, open myself up, I think to not only be a more comfortable playwright, but to be a more comfortable queer playwright who's writing about queer stories from a queer perspective. Okay. How many people were in this, were in your cohort there? Um, there were 12 each year. Yeah. Okay. And it lasted for a week. Mm Mm-hmm. What was the program like? I mean, what what was your day like? I'm assuming a lot of it was given over to writing, but I'd, I'd really like to hear more about the communal bits where everybody got together. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I went two years in a row, and basically um, the schedule of the week is that from about all of your mornings are spent actually in workshops. So you're doing writing exercises. Um, one of my teachers was very, very kind of stringent on giving us homework every day and very, very much um, kind of treating it as uh, I like to call it kind of like a, a grad school boot camp almost. Um, and so in the mornings we would do the, uh, you know, be reading new material, be discussing our exercises. Um, and then in the afternoons after lunch, we'd have a free time, which was usually meant for writing or exploring, um, Los Angeles or, um, something or catching up on homework. Um, and then, uh, in the afternoons or in the late afternoons, we do readings of everyone's work. So, um, there were six cohorts in total. Playwriting was just one of the facets. They also had a prose, a poetry, and a couple of other cohorts. Um, and so every night they'd have, uh, I think it was every night they had two representatives from each cohort um, read from their uh, things that they were working on throughout the week. Um, and that was really incredible. So so um, 
definitely during the mornings, uh, those were extremely communal as far as the playwriting, but, um, it even got to a kind of another degree of that, um, in the readings. And then in the, uh, we'd have wine after the readings and just get to sit and talk about everyone's, um, projects that they were working on. Um, and I also thought something that was like also unique about the program is that it was on this, uh, college campus in Los Angeles, the Otis college of art and design, um, that just felt very like sequestered from the rest of Los Angeles. Like it very much felt kind of like this very queer Island. Um, and that was also just kind of really, uh, a cool experience to get to be in a exclusively queer space working with those artists. Let's talk more about that because you don't normally live in an exclusively queer space. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm originally from uh, Rome, Georgia, which is not um, exactly a uh, LGBT haven of the world. Yeah, it's not the gayest state in the union. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So finding yourself in the middle of this group of of like-spirited creative people must have been a real change for you. It was a huge change, yeah. I mean, I... Uh, just to go into a little bit of my background, like I came out really, really young. I came out when I was like 14. Um, I was the only openly gay kid in my high school. Um, and that experience kind of, I feel like was, um, a little bit exercised throughout the, the, my week at Lambda, just the idea of like all the kind of, um, and it's true. I think of any minority, um, but just the idea of like respectability politics and the idea of like, okay, I can, I can, you know, I can be gay, but I have to act this certain way. Um, especially in a town, I mean, Rome, Georgia is, uh, I mean, 30,000 people. So it's, so it's not huge. Um, so going from there to, to this kind of like really, really radical shift, um, of Lambda, which also would have been only, two years after I graduated high school. So, so it was, you know, it was very much kind of a, a whiplash that I really needed. It, well, it sounded like <clears throat> that you've suddenly found yourself with a lot more, well, a little bit more freedom than you had before, able to express yourself with less reservation, actually learning how to express yourself in different, uh, different societal groups. Yeah, absolutely. And also, too, I think, you know, um, I mean, the first time I ever, ever thought even closely about writing about like queer sex or whatever was at Lambda. Um, and so that was, you know, just another facet of, of um, I don't know, the the kind of proof that like I really was growing is that they, that was the first time that I'd let myself kind of write about um, the nitty gritty queer stuff. When you say nitty gritty queer stuff, let's be. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's go into that just a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think really my, my second year at Lambda, um, which was in 2018, I got to study with, um, a really incredible, uh, player and mentor, Luis Alfaro. And one of the biggest notes that he kept on kind of repeating at us throughout the week was like, get nastier in your writing. Like don't, um, basically kind of like let all your guards down and just, let your brain hit the page as hard as you can. Um, and so one of the things that that really, really kind of dredged up for me, um, was the idea of, uh, and it, it had been something that I'd been struggling with in my writing, which was talking about specifically queer anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really kind of revolutionized one of the plays that I'd been working on at the time. Um, 
called Dead Gay Body, which was really, uh, I needed kind of the permission to, um, be angry and to have that, uh, kind of be reiterated and understood by a room. Um, just because, I mean, the plot of dead gay body follows, I mean, the opening scene is a dead gay body hitting the floor of the stage and, and throughout the plot of the plays, um, dead bodies of, uh, queer hate crimes, um, keep building and building into sort of this like mountain so almost on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so the ability to kind of like tap into anger, the ability to tap into, um, you know, what reverence to have for, um, dead bodies, how that reverence can be kind of, um, shifted and changed and, and reimagined. Um, that was really, really huge for that script in particular. How difficult was it for you to get nasty? I mean, it seems it was like a, it's. It seems like okay. Somebody's just verbally giving you permission to go someplace you may not have gone before, and you've got all these these years of of expressions that weren't let out before. If I'm if I'm being correct, and now all of a sudden you have the permission to do so. Yeah, it was it was incredibly difficult. Um, I think that I part of uh, you know my coming out so early. Um, just exposed me to the idea of like, okay, I can, I can be gay as long as I'm being the correct version of gay, especially in a very, you know, um, small conservative town and small conservative, just like sphere that I was in. Um, and so the idea of kind of dropping all of, all of the guards that I had built up throughout, um, you know, high school and, and even into college, um, letting those guards dropped and letting myself get nasty was like kind of in complete difference to everything that I had been, um, kind of really, uh, you know, subconsciously or consciously, um, training myself for. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, it was, it was very difficult. I'm not, I definitely don't think that anger in general is an easy emotion for me to, to really access. Um, and so getting, you know, a week to really dive into being angry and, and even just the research behind it of researching, you know, uh, queer hate crimes of researching the AIDS crisis of, of just that research. I mean, obviously that can be really heavy. Um, and so to have a space where, um, that heaviness, I, I felt that heaviness could be explored in a really safe way. Um, and in a way that would be, uh, embraced and kind of uplifted and celebrated, um, I think that was really, really huge, but it definitely took a lot of growth for me to, to kind of get there. It took, uh, the retreat was about seven days and it was, it was not until about the third or fourth day that I really actually kind of took that writing advice and was like, you know, what, I'm going to try it. That's a big step, especially for such a short period of time to have that kind of growth. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. And also too, I mean, I mean, once again, I mean, I'm 22, I was 21 at the time. So, so it was very, um, yeah, it was difficult, but, uh, I think that it paid off in a huge way. Um, that script went on and it's absolutely still growing. Um, but that script has been one of my more successful pieces, um, in, in stage readings and workshops and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, it only grows when I kind of rethink about that advice about getting how to make the play nasty or how to, um, access that anger, uh, faster and easier. Right. You said something earlier about it's okay to be gay as long as you're the right kind of, uh, actually you said queer, right, right kind of queer. 
does that mean non-threatening to, to, to the straight community? Yeah, I definitely think, um, I think non-threatening, I think, um, just, in, I mean, I mean, once again, returning to anger, I think that any time a minority, um, to, to any degree, um, experiences or, or, uh, expresses anger. Um, I think that it's either seen as, um, you know, I think, I don't know about the word flamboyant, but I, I don't think that it's, uh, seen with as much, um, reality or with as much, uh, respect as, as, um, someone from like a no- more normative identity. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you also spoke about healing and then you went into talk about letting your anger get out. So these have got to be connected. What was it like coming out of this week long experience? What was, what was the healing that you experienced? Yeah, I think to be honest, I mean, my first year, uh, at Lambda, um, I went through a huge dry spell after that week just because, um, my first mentor was a, a really incredible mentor named Philip Howes. Um, and he, he had also very, very much pushed us, um, early on, um, to, to kind of write to a higher degree. But I think I came out of it really scared of, of the, um, places that I had like accessed in, in myself and, and kind of a lot of pent up anger about, you know, growing up queer in like a really small town. Um, and so I just went through a huge dry spell. And so I don't think that, um, I had a huge amount of growth after my first time at Lambda. Um, I think my second time at Lambda, I went into it, um, and had kind of like a really major transformation and, and I think made my work, um, kind of nastier and meaner and, 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 um, willing to go to places that I hadn't been willing to go for. Um, and I think I came out of it in a weird way, um, almost, uh, a little bit nicer as a playwright. Um, I don't think that my, and I mean that in a social aspect, uh-huh. um, I, 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 I definitely think that I have maintained, um, or I'm trying to, uh, maintain that level of kind of like rigor in my playwriting of like, okay, like what makes me angry? How do I write about that? What makes me, you know, that kind of part of it. But it sounds like you were, you were opening up, allowed to open up a toy chest. You didn't really know was there or afraid to touch before. And all of a sudden there were all these different toys in there that you wanted to use and maybe didn't know how to use which one first. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, um, I came out of that too with kind of new <laughs> kind of fun playwriting, uh, you know, topics to talk about of anger and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I came out of that really wanting to, um, provide and build that space with like my fellow playwrights in Athens, um, and, and wanting to try and figure out ways of like, okay, I've been given permission to kind of access these like kind of dark bits. How do I then go on to like give other people permission to do that as well? Hey kids, thanks for tuning in. This is George Sapio and you are listening to On Stage, Off Stage, episode number 125, January, 2020. This month, we are talking with Abraham Johnson, a playwright from Athens, Georgia, whose article, How to Care for Your Queer Playwright, appeared in HowlRound.com in September of 2018. Uh, Okay, good topic. Um, Permission to do that as well. 
you were talking about Lambda having readings and getting to listen mm -hmm. to other people's work. I went through a similar experience a number of years ago when I went for my MFA at a, <clears throat> at a low residency uh, college, Goddard. And mm -hmm. to me, because I, I write in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. and, and my exposure to other artists is always, you know, oh, we're going to do a reading or come see my play. And it's it's limited in a sense because this is it's, these are public things and they've got to be polished and they've got to be good enough for other people to see so they will respect you right but when i went to goddard and had these readings it felt like an entire new world was opened up to me all of a sudden we'd have 10 12 people reading a night and this would be 2 hours long and these were works in progress and a lot of people would get up going, please be gentle. This is what I wrote two days ago. And they'd come out with some of the most amazing material. And I think we all, as a group, took heart from hearing each other run without needing permission. And I'm yeah. wondering what that was like for you in these readings. Was it similar? How did it affect you? Did it change perspective somehow? Yeah, I think it definitely. I think um, one of the one of the really cool things about the readings was just that there were so many perspectives. I mean, I mean, um, Lambda, from what I remember of it, was incredibly um, diverse on so many levels. Um, there were so many different classes. I think represented. There were so many different races, ethnicities, um, countries. You know, it was it was you know there there was a strong international presence to it as well. Um, and so I think getting to hear not only new perspectives, but also clashing perspectives and getting to hear people like argue um, about that experience, um, getting to getting to argue about, you know, whether or not they were offended by this piece or whether or not they, yeah. you know, were like totally for another piece. I think in another just kind of additional way, it just really opened my eyes to the idea of um, that the experience of queerness is like a multiplicity um, that there's no like one, um, kind of queer perspective or queer experience or queer path that, right. um, that you can be, you know, totally, totally queer and completely disagree from all the other people in the room. Um, and that doesn't invalidate your queerness. And I think that was a really, really huge thing for me to, to learn. Um, just because, I mean, going back to the idea of, you know, internalized, um, you know, respectability, but also just like internalized homophobia and, and, um, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I kind of had this switch when I came to college of, um, not feeling gay enough. Um, and so I, uh, that was also really exercised throughout my week at Lambda was, um, the idea that not only, um, was I queer, but there was no one way to be queer. I, I, th I think as a society, we are trained which, for lack of a better word, um, to think in simplistic terms, to think in terms of, well, it's either black or it's white, and you're going to go one way or you're going to go the other. And in reality, we are a multiplicity of billions of shades of gray, and we are not taught to appreciate that, to deal with that, to expect that. We constantly go through life looking for the simplest answers, and I think that's probably because we live in a very complex world at this point. We have so many things assaulting us through TV, through 
the, the internet that ourselves become so overwhelmed with things, we, we hunger for simplicity. But in a sense, that really doesn't exist. And we're constantly being reawoken to the fact that things, we may share a, a single trait, but we are radically different within that single trait. Absolutely. I also think it's interesting thinking about like, I think where we are at right now in our culture is like we live in such a performative culture. Um, so the idea of like being able to kind of like reduce yourself and be able to say like, uh, you know, this is, you know, my queer experience and this is how I'm going to summarize it. I think also too, just plays into the idea of like reducing yourself to an identity that's easy to make people understand, which I don't think, I think that our identities are so much more complex than that. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. That's perfect. Cause that leads me right to my next question. Um, you wrote about making making it easy making making your work easier for straight people to get yeah right? I, I, on the one hand someone is confused about you know somebody in your audience who doesn't understand the queer lifestyle right is confused about what's going on because you're writing for your own culture all right how do you or do you even bother to explain about the privilege that this audience member has just explained. You need to explain this to me because I don't understand. And it's probably a feeling of being alienated from the target audience. They're in your audience, but they don't get it. So they demand an explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like you also wrote, somebody said you, you need to put in an appendix to this, to this play so I can get it. How right. Do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think, I think in kind of a, I, I don't know if this is going to serve me well long term, but to be honest, my approach right now is, is just kind of saying, okay, well, this is not for you. So I'm going to move on. Um, I think that, uh, while that's kind of a little bit of a kind of, I don't know, fun, <laughs> uh, rye thing for me to be able to say, I don't think that it's super helpful and I don't think it's necessarily as, um, realistic maybe as it needs to be since I am, you know, a young playwright who is going to have to appeal to crowds who are not necessarily um, my exact target audience. I think that um, I really, really, uh, I know a lot of playwrights don't love talkbacks and, and, and kind of that side of um, playwriting, but I personally... I love them, just for the same, record. <laughs> same. I live for talkbacks. I really, like, maybe it's a, a narcissistic thing, but I just love talking about you know, work. Um, I, I don't know necessarily about, you know, explaining it, but I definitely love exploring it with an audience and allowing an audience to also, you know, have the potential to explain it to each other as well. Right. It's interesting hearing the feedback from audience members about what you've just exposed to them, because you wonder a, if they were listening sometimes B, how they were listening and C, did I really put that in the play? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is, is there a moment that stands out where the audience has taught you something about your own work? Yeah, I think um, in one of the I, I did an academic production of um, Dead Gay Body, actually, a very earlier draft um, at my university. I go to the University of Georgia um, and uh, at one of the talkbacks, one of the um, audience members just hated it and was just very, very, you know, uh, open about letting me know how much she hated it. Mm. Um 
and specifically what she was responding to was um, throughout. So kind of the play uses a high school as kind of like uh, it's 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 an absurd version of a high school. Um but it uses that as a kind of microcosm for like kind of, uh, you know, queer hate crime, um, an arena for queer hate crimes to happen. Um, and, uh, throughout the course of the play, this counselor, um, is just kind of increasingly responding to these, uh, gay bodies that are appearing out of nowhere, um, in like increasingly absurd ways. And, uh, it really, really, the play really kind of tears into kind of the mental health aspect of high school and, and the, terrible, terrible, um, you know, counselors that I've been exposed to. Um, but, uh, this one audience member just really, really hated it and just kept on talking about how, you know, that's not how high schools are nowadays. And that, um, you know, the, that the counselors were trying as hard as they could to help. And, and it was hard to, um, kind of have that conversation just because, uh, I remember talking to a lot of the other audience members after the show and they kept saying, you know, I have no idea where she got that from. Cause like my high school was absolutely, you know, kind of this, um, you know, arena for, for things like this to happen or just even just microaggressions to happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but, but that really, really sticks out in my mind of a time where I just like really wasn't clicking with an audience member. The mm-hmm. audience member really, um, I think able to fully grasp where I was coming from. Um, and in that sense, I think I just kind of had to like, let it go and just say like, okay, well, you know, it's okay that you don't get my play. My play doesn't have to be for everybody. Right. That, that raises two issues for me. One is when I become insufferably rich and can do anything I want and get a chance to open my own theater. Right. Place. Uh, over the door to the actual arena will be a sign that says, open your mind. This could be a learning experience for you. Yeah. Just to keep it fresh right there before they walk in that I might not be writing for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not sure why you're here. I'm glad you're here. Hopefully we can have some kind of a dialogue and reach an understanding about whatever it is that I'm going to be throwing upon this stage. If you don't get it, let me know. Let's talk. But don't walk in there thinking that I am writing for your sensibilities because that's – you're going to be disappointed. Oh, yeah. I I love that. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's a great space to come from. Well, it's, it's the only – it's one of the only ways that I can actually justify to myself that what I'm writing is what I'm writing. Right. right. It's – as a playwright, we, we – as playwrights, we have this – inner demon, you know, I don't know which shoulder it's standing on, but it basically says, you need to write for the audience, otherwise nobody will come. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And the guy on the other shoulder is, would you shut up already, please? Just write what you need to, <laughs> and, you know, have four people in the audience who worship you. Yeah, absolutely. This is what's known as playwright hell. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um... Last question on this particular topic. Then, I'll, then I want to scooch over to something uh, a, a little different. We'll come back to it, though. I think. How can straight playwrights be allies for queer playwrights? Ooh, that's a good question. I thought so. Um, <laughs> I think. Hmm. I think first and foremost, um, I think the idea of 
you know, just sharing opportunities. I think that some of my some of my best playwriting opportunities have come from, you know, straight playwrights sending me, you know, oh, this queer playwriting festival is looking for writers. Um, I think that's huge. I think that um, I don't know. That's a big question. I I think. Yeah, I think I would stick to that. I think it would be sharing opportunities. I think it would be um, finding ways to make theater in general as an entire industry just more accessible for wider audiences. Um, I think that uh, a proliferation of of opportunity, I think, is the only way um, that the theater is going to sustain itself. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the idea of um, just more theater, which, which I think, you know, this is coming from a very kind of young perspective, but I think that, um, you know, I, I personally am willing to see a play that is less funded. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm willing to go see a black box play with, you know, a sofa and two chairs that, you know, had a, a shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if everybody, you know, is on, if I can feel the kind of like electricity in the room of like, okay, the actors are in this, the directors in this, they're winning the audience over. Um, I, I think it just takes kind of a, a major shift in, in budgeting and, and more of a focus on, um, relationships with the audience, um, and people creating, um, art that they, that they believe in and they're, they're connecting over. Absolutely. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, no. That that, that you're you're preaching to the choir here because when you say, you know, black box and, and a couch, I'm like, no, black box and a couple of cubes. Um, yeah, because absolutely. We don't need production. We don't need uh, you know huge theaters. We need a box where people can come together with a text and enthusiasm, right? mm. and just a desire to play, to perform. It's more theater to me is, is the perfect world. I'd, I'd love to, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd love to see it just explode without being corrupted. Um, Absolutely. yeah. And so, yeah, but it, it's, if it's not inclusive, then yeah. it doesn't work. And I also think too, I don't think it has to sacrifice spectacle. Like I, like I, you know, I think about these like super, super low budget, um, versions of these shows and you can still do crazy stuff on stage and you can still have that magic stuff. So, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. Sounds good. Hey kids, thanks for tuning in. This is George Sapio and you are listening to On Stage, Off Stage, episode number 125. January 2020. This month, we are talking with Abraham Johnson, a playwright from Athens, Georgia, whose article, How to Care for Your Queer Playwright, appeared in HowlRound.com in September of 2018. Okay, let's let's kick over to something a little bit more playwrighty, playwrighty, um, which I just made that word up. Paul, <laughs> bake-offs. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm I'm doing my research on you, and I I had heard of this before, but I forgot about it. And you were talking about the Bake Off series, and since right now I am watching season six of the British Great British Bake Off series, I thought, oh my gosh, baking. Yeah. And so, then I thought, no, that's not it. This is Paula Vogel's Bake Off. <laughs> and there well, are a lot of similarities. Ah, uh, well, well, we're not talking about. Buns and tiramisu and and bread and showstoppers. 
let's talk about what this Bake Off actually is, because this is an absolutely fascinating um, exercise. Sure, sure. Yeah. So so the first time I did a Bake Off was um, actually my first time at the Lambda retreat. Um, we were supposed to come in um, basically having uh, the most traditional version of a Bake Off that Paula Vogel invented in like the 80s um, was uh, – basically the idea is that you come up with like three, um, like texts that you're inspired by. So, so the texts that we had for my very first one at Lambda was, um, they were all in response to the Bacchae by Euripides. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so we read, uh, like one of the like original, like early, early, early translations of the Bacchae. Then we read, um, a play by Maureen Duffy that was like inspired by the Bacchae that she wrote, I believe in the 1950s. Um, and then we read a play by Dan LaFranc, um, from like 2012, um, that was also in response to the Bacchae. And so kind of what you get out of the experience is like a real distillation of what is at the very, very heart of this story or what is at the heart of what I'm trying to write. And then, um, a group of playwrights is brought together and they spend 48 hours, typically 48 hours, um, writing in response to that. And so in the very original Bake Off, that Paula Vogel did in the eighties. Um, she and uh, kind of a bunch of playwrights kind of came together and were talking about how frustrated they were with the American theater and decided that they were going to write kind of like the great American play. Um, and so over the course of 48 hours, they all wrote plays, um, that had to have like a kitchen sink, a family secret, and you know, uh, it could all fit in like a room or something like that. Um, and basically what it turns into is this really, really incredible communal moment at the end of the 48 hours where all the playwrights come together and usually everyone cooks something or brings some sort of food and you all just read each other's work and there's absolutely no room for criticism. It's not at all meant to be that way. And, and honestly, like out of all the bake-offs I've done, like only like half of them, I've been really like, Oh wait, like that was actually pretty good. Um, but the idea is kind of like a really radical sense of community and, um, just nourishment and, and kind of like getting past the gross idea of like, okay, how are we going to produce this? But just like really focusing on like, okay, we're writing and we're writing together yes. and we're going to do this. Yeah. So. I, I think the one thing that playwrights are, don't hear often enough is the phrase, you have permission to suck. We know this is a test drive. Yes. We know yes. this is something that's off the cuff that we're expecting you to do in 48 hours. No, it doesn't have to be angels in America. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But it has to be something and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned, um, so, so after my first time at Lambda, I went through this big dry spell. It was honestly about, it was like seven or eight months where I just like was having a really hard time writing. Cause I was just like really kind of holding myself to a standard that, um, was like not, not really even a real standard. It was just kind of my own head, you know, stopping mm-hmm. me. Yeah. <laughs> And I went into, um, I, I, uh, I was talking to my mentor, Philip House from my first time. And, um, we were talking about how I was kind of like struggling with writing and I talked about how much I loved bake-offs. Um, and he said, well, you know, you should just write a bunch of bake-offs and like kick yourself out of, you know, whatever funk you're in. Um, and so I think what you saw on, on my website is, um, I spent, uh, I, I decided to spend a summer basically just writing a ton of bake-offs, um, and so I wrote 10 bake-offs over the course of the summer and like completely um, revamped kind of all of my, uh, you know, feelings about my own writing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it, I think that I was only able to do that because I gave myself permission to suck. So absolutely. I, I, I think playwrights should suck more. Oh, I, I definitely. 
<laughs> I, I definitely agree. I, I'm, I think I'm way ahead on that one at this particular point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if everything I wrote fit into desk drawers, I'd have a you know, closet the size of Rhode Island. Um, That's awesome. You describe yourself as a writer, uh, not just plays, but prose and poetry. Um, how did you get started in playwriting? I mean, how did dialogue and stage directions work its way into your life? Why did you start doing this? Yeah, I um, I definitely consider myself a little bit late to the theater game. Um, I had, you know, I think most writers, you know, I had always been really, really obsessed with words and with, uh, you know, reading and writing as a kid. Um, but it wasn't really until high school where I started to like really understand like, oh, like you can actually like have a career to some, you know, degree at this. Like there are people who call themselves writers and they do this. Yeah. Um, and so I really, really, uh, I've always been like super bookish. Um, and so, uh, I had some teachers who kind of pushed me in high school, um, to, to do creative writing classes, to do certain stuff like that. And at that time I was just doing, you know, short story writing, a lot of poetry stuff. Um, and I ended up, uh, submitting to this like high school writing contest and I ended up, uh, like winning like second place. Um, uh, and it was, and it was this kind of big honor. And so my, my school was posting about it and my, uh, theater director who I had done like a little bit of, I had been in like one play. Um, and he approached me in the hallway and he said, Hey, like, congratulations. I saw, you know, you did that. Um, would you send me, you know, the short story? And so I, uh, I ended up sending him the short story and he contacted me. He was like, this is, you know, really cool. Would you ever think about writing a play? Um, and so I kind of, I wasn't super into it just cause I didn't, I, I didn't really fully understand that like people could be playwrights. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's not real. I was like, that's not a real thing. It's really a machine that does it in Indiana. That's yeah, really yeah, what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Bloomington, Bloomington, I believe. Um, but, uh, but so I, um, but so I uh, kept on kind of getting a, a little push from him until finally um, I just stayed up all night uh, one weekend um, writing this like garbage, absolute garbage one act um, play that was just basically a bunch of inside jokes of me and my friends. Um, and I sent it to uh, my teacher and he said, OK, this is great. We're going to produce it in the fall. Uh, and I kind of I was like, what? Um, because my, my high school theater program at the time was like really, really not, uh, you know, super active. We had like one musical a year and that was pretty much the extent of what we were doing. Um, and I still, you know, I, not at all in a humble way, like the script was bad. And I think that he knew that it was bad and it was just very, very kind of like young, you know, I was just throwing stuff up in the air to see what stuck. Um, but he just really, really opened up this opportunity, um, to just kind of like, you know, we have a theater, we're not using it. Why don't you just use it? You, you know, I'm not going to give you a budget, but you can use whatever we have in the closets. Um, and so getting that space to, to, uh, you know, have my work up in front of an audience, it literally, it had no budget. Um, it just had a bunch of, you know, my friends who really believed in, you know, kind of doing this kind of stupid inside joke play. Um, and it was from there that I, I really, really, um, bought in and, and just really, I guess, caught the bug of, um, just, uh, the idea of like building a community with a play, mm. um, regardless of it being good or not. Happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Theater is collaborative. And I think it's equal parts social bonding as production. 
Absolutely. And people who do theater are passionate. They don't just do it because they have free time on Sundays. No, they're passionate. This is something they think about all week when they're balancing budgets and, and doing gosh knows whatever it is that they do to put food on the table. Um, it's a passion. Absolutely. What are you writing about now? Yeah, I think um, my biggest thing, so I just spent the summer, I was a literary intern at the uh, O'Neill Theater Center. And I think one thing that I'm really inspired by after coming out of the summer is like, okay, why theater specifically? Like what makes the script different from a screenplay? What makes the script different from like, uh, you know, a short story or whatever. So I'm really interested in, in kind of exploding the ideas of like, okay, this, how, how do I make this the absolute most theatrical play possible? Um, I am writing a play about fight choreography. That's a little too real. Um, I'm writing, uh, I'm, I'm still definitely working on dead gay body and trying to figure out ways. Um, I just recently started adding music to it, which is exciting. I think that's super theatrical and I think that's a, definitely a vein I want to explore. Um, and then I have a play, um, going up in Atlanta pretty soon. Um, that is, uh, very, very much kind of responding to the theater canon that I've um, kind of grown up with and like fell in love with and kind of also fallen in love with critiquing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I like the idea that I'm, I'm really kind of writing uh, theatrically with a capital T now. Cool. Sounds like fun. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a question that was just sitting in my brain and I was just typing something else and I, Oh, O'Neill. Yes. What was it? Okay. As somebody who's applied numerous times, uh, <laughs> yeah. no jealousy here. Um, no, seriously, what was it like? Oh, it was, I mean, it was, I mean, it was nothing short of life changing. It was, um, it just taught me so much about, um, you know, I got to read a lot of the finalist scripts, a lot of the semi-finalist scripts and, and also get, uh, you know, specifically with the new play, uh, the national play conference. Right. Um, and just the idea that like, everything I was reading was so good. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, like how, you know, how were these semifinalists? How are these finals? How is it even possible to whittle it down to what ends up being eight plays? Right. You, were um, the, you were one of the people who was reading the submissions. Yes. Yeah. Actually this upcoming year, I'll be, I'll, I'm one of the readers. Um, so I, Hi, you know, my name is George. <laughs> <laughs> I will say they are blind, but you know, hey. yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was just incredible. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that I took out of this summer was the idea of like what makes a playwright a playwright. Um, and it, you know, as, as, you know, romantic and amazing as the O'Neill is, um, there, I mean, there are tons of really huge playwrights who get, um, you know, denied by the O'Neill. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, so I think I came out of that experience um, just with a completely, I mean, my mind had like been like exploded open, um, as far as, you know, okay, well, you know, these three playwrights who I spent the summer with didn't go to get a master's in fine arts, you know, um, or, you know, this playwright is actually more professionally an actor and they just wrote this play and it got accepted or whatever. Um, so I think it just really at the end of the summer just exploded the idea that like playwriting comes from writing plays. It doesn't come from a degree or an award or anything like that, which was really refreshing. And I think I, I specifically at this point in my career really needed to have that driven home. Hmm. It's nice to have these professional level experiences just so we know that there's a world outside of our own imaginations. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just going to say one more thing and then, then we'll do the, the, the sign off here. You wrote in your article, how to care for your queer playwright in HowlRound. Maybe with more opportunities, queer playwrights will find their fresh air or maybe will breathe fire. And I know, I believe I know what you meant by fresh air, because we kind of touched on that earlier. But I'm also fascinated by the idea that there are playwrights out there breathing fire. I think that's such a, a wonderful proposition to entertain. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think we could use that. Well, Abraham Johnson, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to come chat. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you so much. I've so appreciated it. One last thing. Tell my audience how we can find you and find out more about you and your work. So you can find me. Um, I'm very active on Twitter. So if you look up the Abe Johnson on Twitter, um, I also have a website at abewritesplays.com. Um, and you can also find me, um, I'll be posting soon, on the uh, new play exchange um, at Abraham Johnson. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at On Off Stage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet or know of someone in the theater world, Who'd make some great chat? Please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. Yeah.